So we're going to hop right in. And today we're going to be looking at Judges. So we're going to be in the book of Judges today, and we are going to look at several chapters, but we're only going to be looking at key verses. So um, we are going to read through quite a bit of four and five, Judges four and five. So I would just say put a little put a little tab there, but mostly uh, Judges four and five, but we're going to start in Judges one. And today... The Lord wants me to talk to us about trusting God in your generation's warfare. Trusting God in your generation's warfare. Believe it or not, every generation has its own issues. Every generation has its own problems. And every generation has its own types of warfare. And so we know that the scriptures are given to us for our learning. And it's always so incredible and amazing to me how much the scriptures really can help us with some of the things that we're dealing with today in our own life, in our own time, and in our own generation. So let's jump right into Judges 1. I'm going to primarily be reading from the Message Bible, but I will hop over to the Holman Christian Standard. So those are the two versions that I'll be reading out of today. Judges 1, looking at verse 1. A time came after the death of Joshua when the people of Israel asked God, who will take the lead in going up against the Canaanites to fight them? And God said, Judah will go. I've given the land to him. Skip down to verse 8. The people of Judah attacked and captured Jerusalem, subduing the city by sword and then sending it up in flames. After that, they had gone down to fight the Canaanites who were living in the hill country, the Negev, and the foothills. Judah had gone on to the Canaanites who lived in Hebron, and brought Shishai, Ahimon, and Talmai to their knees. Go over with me to verse 18. Judges 1, verse 18. But Judah didn't manage to capture Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron with their territories. God was certainly with Judah in that they took over the hill country, but they couldn't oust the people on the plain because they had iron chariots. They gave Hebron to Caleb as Moses had directed. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin couldn't get rid of the Jebusites living in Jerusalem. Benjamites and Jebusites live side by side in Jerusalem to this day. Skip with me to verse 27. But Manasseh never managed to drive out Beth Shan, Tanakh, Dor, Iblam, and Megiddo with their territories. The Canaanites dug in their heels and wouldn't budge. When Israel became stronger, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, also known as slavery, but they never got rid of them. Neither 
did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. The Canaanites stuck it out and lived there with them. Neither nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who lived, nor did, did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites in Kitron and Nahalal. They kept living there, but they were put to forced labor. Nor did Asher drive out the people of Akko, Sidon, Ablam, Akzib, Helba, Aphek, and Rehob. Asher went ahead and settled down with the Canaanites since they could not get rid of them. Naphtali fared no better. They couldn't drive out the people of Beth Shemeth or Beth Anath, so they just moved in and lived with them. They did, though, put them to forced labor. The Amorites pushed the people of Dan up into the hills and wouldn't let them down on the plains. They stubbornly continued to live in Mount Herez, Ijalon, and Shalbim. But when the house of Joseph, meaning Manasseh and Ephraim, got the upper hand, they were put to forced labor. I want you to think about that for a moment. Now, when leaders die, people are often left with lots of questions. Question number one, who will take up the lead in going against the current situations? Who will take up the lead in going against our enemies? Who will take up the lead in going against the things that fight against us in our progress? Much like the children of Israel here. God said to them, Judah will take the lead. Judah will be the one to go and take the lead. Judges 1 shows how the tribes were not able to drive out the Canaanites. This story repeats over and over again as we just saw. They settled in and lived with them, but then they put them to forced labor. From the house of Joseph to Zebulon to Asher to Naphtali to Dan being pushed over until the house of Joseph had to come in and help them, this cycle repeated. Now let's look at Judges 2, starting at verse 6 through 10. After Joshua had dismissed them, this is when they finally came over under Joshua's leadership, the people of Israel went off to claim their allotted territories and take possession of the land. The people worshipped God throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the time of the leaders who survived him, leaders who had been in on all of God's great work that he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of God, died. He was 110 years old. They buried him in his allotted inheritance. Eventually, that entire generation died and was buried. Then another generation grew up that didn't know anything of God or the work he had done for Israel. The people of Israel did evil in God's sight. They served Baal gods. They deserted God, the God of their parents, who had led them out of Egypt. They took up with other gods, gods of the peoples around them. They actually worshiped them. How 
they angered God as they worshipped Baal and Astarte. His anger was hot against Israel. He handed them off to plunderers who stripped them. He sold them cheap to enemies on all sides. They were helpless before their enemies. Every time they walked out the door, God was with them. But for evil, just as God had said, just as he had sworn he would do, they were in a bad way. But then God raised up judges who saved them from their plunderers. But they wouldn't listen to their judges. They prostituted themselves to other gods. They lost no time leaving the road walked by their parents. The road of obedience to God's commands. They refused to have anything to do with it. When God was setting up judges for them, he would be right there with the judge. He would save them from their enemy's oppression as long as the judge was alive. For God was moved to compassion when he heard their groaning because of those who afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people went right back to their old ways, even worse than their parents, running after other gods, serving and worshiping them. Stubborn as mules, they didn't drop a single evil practice. And God's anger blazed against Israel. He said, because these people have thrown out my covenant that I commanded their parents and haven't listened to me, I'm not driving out one more person from the nations that Joshua left behind when he died. I'm going to change my program. I'll use them to test Israel and see whether they stay on God's road and walk it out as their parents did. That's why God let those nations remain. He didn't drive them out or let Joshua get rid of them. So, what do we see here? We see that the people worshipped in Joshua's lifetime and in the generation of Joshua's leaders. And that generation died and another one is buried, right? So the people who had entered this land as a redeemed people, after having been through their generations, having been through with Moses and having been through with Joshua, they had entered as a redeemed people, given permission by God to inhabit that land, inhabit that space. But now they were becoming more like the people they were called to displace. The Lord said, drive them out. But instead, they settled down with them because of the stubbornness of the Canaanites. They literally wore them out. And so rather than uh, fight against them, as that saying go, if you can't beat them, join them. That's what they began to do. And so you have this new generation, right? Who's doing evil, who's serving foreign gods, who've deserted the God of their parents, sounds like 2022, <laughs> who took up with the gods of other people around them. And God said to this, I'm not going to drive out any more people. I'm going to use them to test you, to refine a generation, and to teach you how to war. Will they stay on my path and walk it out as their parents did? Or will they give in and will they give up? 
And so as we go into Judges 4, because we're going to be looking at Deborah and her role as a judge today. As we go into Judges 4, I want you to be thinking about this. I'm going to go to Judges 3, 1 through 6 in the Holman Christian Standard. Judges 3, 1 through 6. These are the nations the Lord left in order to test Israel, since none of these Israelites had fought in any of the wars with Canaan. They didn't fight them. They gave up and they settled down. This was to teach the future generations of Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not fought before. These nations included the five rulers of the Philistines and all of the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites, who lived in the Lebanese mountains from Mount Bel Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. The Lord left them to test Israel, to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands he had given their fathers through Moses. But they settled among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites took daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. So, if you want to know why, he tells us very plainly why they were about to go through this period. Because he was testing them, and he was preparing them to learn how to fight. If God ran off all of their enemies all the time, they would never learn warfare. They would never learn how to do battle. So the Lord said, okay, I'm not going to run them off. I'm going to raise up a judge amongst you and I'm going to teach you all how to stand and how to, how to fight and how to occupy the territory that I've given to you. So, by this time in Judges 4, it has been at least 120 years. And three judges later, they've had Othniel come through. They've had Ehud come through. And they've had a judge by the name of Shamgar come through. Now, what does this tell us about the nature of humans? That we are habitual. That we can be stubborn. <laughs> that we can often be hard to change and that we can also be satisfied with being rescued over and over again only to go back and do the things that got us in the place of needing to be rescued in the first place. No, that's not new to our generation. That is human nature playing out. They've had 40 years of peace under one judge and then they had another 80 years of peace under another judge. What does this tell us? It tells us that experiencing peace as a result of being right with God does not necessarily persuade people to keep doing right. It doesn't persuade people to keep moving in the direction of righteousness. And thank God that God himself knew this. So he gave us something called the Holy Spirit to empower us in this present age to walk in righteousness continually. Why? Because he saw that without the Spirit, 
we would return to the cycle over and over and over again. So, as we open up here in Judges 4, we learn about the commander of the Canaanite army led by King Jabin, and his name was Sisera. Let's take a look and let's learn a little bit here about what's happening with the people now who have been going in this cycle of disobedience, oppression, and then crying out for a deliverer. Judges 4, verse 1. The people of Israel kept right on doing evil in God's sight. With Ehud dead, God sold them off to Jabin, king of Canaan, who ruled from Hazor. Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim, was the commander of his army. The people of Israel cried out to God because he had cruelly oppressed them with his 900 iron chariots for 20 years. Deborah was a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth. She was judge over Israel at that time, and she held court under Deborah's palm between Ramah and Bethel in the hills of Ephraim. The people of Israel went to her in matters of justice. So now you have 20 years Sisera has been oppressing the people. This is 140 years later, and this pattern is still going on with the children of Israel. Now, Deborah is the judge at this time, and we see her role as both a prophet and a wife. It's not a either or, it's a both and. And that people are going to her in matters of justice. There's nothing here that indicates that people bucked against her leadership. Mm. There's nothing here that indicates that she was an ineffective leader or ineffective judge or ineffective mediator. It's just very straightforward. And while she is facilitating the matters of justice, it says she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali. And obviously he came. So there was not an issue of insubordination of people refusing to come at her at her summons. Oh, you preaching. She said to him, it has become clear that God, the God of Israel, commands you. Go to Mount Tabor and prepare for battle. Take 10 companies of soldiers, which is about 10,000, from Naphtali and Zebulun. I'll take care of getting Sisera, the leader of Jabin's army, to the Kishon River with all his chariots and troops, and I'll make sure you win the battle. Barak said, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. <laughs> she said, of course, I'll go with you. That's a given. But understand that with an attitude like that, There'll be no glory in it for you. God will use a woman's hand to take care of Sisera. Mm -hmm. Deborah got ready and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali together at Kadesh. Ten companies of men followed him and Deborah was with him. It happened that Heber, the Kenite, had parted company with the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' in-law. 
He was now living at Zenanim Oak near Kadesh. They told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera immediately called upon all his troops, his chariots to the Kishon River, 900 iron chariots, along with all his troops who were with him at Harasheth Hagoyim. Now, Deborah tells Barak God's plan and God's victory that is assured, but Barak will not go unless she is involved. And because Barak wants to adjust the plan, the glory is going to go to someone else. The glory is going to go to a woman. Now, God still marks and he still um, decides that there is going to be a victory. He still marches before Barak and gives them the victory. Let's look. Deborah said to Barak, charge. This very day, God is giving you the victory over Sisera. Isn't God marching before you? So Barak charged down the slopes of Mount Tabor, his 10 companies following him. God routed Sisera, all those chariots, all those troops before Barak. Sisera jumped out of his chariot and ran. Barak chased the chariots and troops all the way to Harasheth Hagoyim. Sisera's entire fighting force was killed. Not one man left. Mm. Meanwhile, Sisera, running for his life, headed for the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite. Heber the Kenite, who had broken off from the rest of the people and was living by himself. Jabin, king of Hazor, and Heber the Kenite were on good terms with one another. So Sisera thought he would be safe there because this man was a friend to the king. Jael stepped out to meet Sisera and said, Come in, sir. Stay here with me. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. She covered him with a blanket. He said to her, Please, a little water. I'm thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink and then covered him up again. He then said, Stand at the tent flap. If anyone comes by and asks you if there's anyone here, tell him, no, not a soul. Then while he was fast asleep from exhaustion, Jael, wife of Heber, in good standing with the corrupt king, took a, took a tent peg and hammer, tiptoed toward him and drove the tent peg through his temple and all the way into the ground. He convulsed and died. Good grief. Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera. J.L. went out to greet him. She said, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. He went with her and there he was. Sisera stretched out dead with a tent peg through his temple. On that day, God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the people of Israel. The people of Israel pressed harder and harder on King Jabin king of Canaan, until there was nothing left of him. My, 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 this is good. So Sisera bails on his troops to save himself. 
Now this is a wonderful, lovely map, lovely illustration here of what the area looked like. And so you have over here in Hazor, which was Canaanite headquarters, you have Naphtali, which is where um, Barak was summoned from. And on the other side, you have Megiddo and you have Harasheth Hagoyim, which is where Sisera and his troops were supposedly at. So they came around this way into this valley where the Kishon was. And Barak is coming from the opposite direction. And right around here is where they supposedly clashed. So while they clashed, Sisera, rather than going in the direction of where he actually lived, he goes in the opposite direction all the way over here to hide out, thinking that he would be safe. <laughs> Whew. He steps into the tent of a supposed ally. Supposed ally. He steps into the tent of a supposed ally. Heber was on good terms with King Jabin. Surely he would be safe there. But it was not a man. It was Jael, Heber's wife, that killed him. Jael killed the captain of the army with kindness. Oh, you didn't know that was a weapon, did you? She killed the captain of the army with kindness, hospitality, and a drink. He never saw the hammer and the peg coming. Just think about that. He never saw it coming. What made this generation's warfare different? And we're going to see as we look at Judges 5 here in a moment. What made this generation's warfare different? Number one, there was a woman with God's strategy, Deborah. And there was a woman with God's courage, J.L. I'm going to say that again. This generation had a woman with God's strategy and a woman with God's courage. God used two women to bring about a complete victory. One, by hearing the voice of God and giving those instructions to Barak. The other woman, by having the courage to take out the chief commander that was orchestrating the warfare that had been going on, affecting the nation for 20 years. She had within her grasp the very commander of the army of oppression for 20 years. And she took the initiative to end his tyranny over the nation. Nobody said, we need you to do this. Nobody had to tell her, we need you to stand up. She understood 
the assignment, as we like to say today. She understood the assignment. Apostle? No, no, sit right there. And I'll stay off the camera. But the thing that was so important is she knew who that enemy army commander was. She was not ignorant to who the adversary was. And when she met the adversary, she didn't get ghetto on him. She didn't act crazy. No, you can't stay here. No, you can't do this. She was very smart, very kind, did not change her composure, which was one of the greatest strategies of warfare. Bam. Preach, okay? <laughs> so let's look at this song that Deborah began to sing after this victory because it really does give more insight into the background of what was happening as they began to prepare for this warfare. Deborah's song, verses one and two. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang, when the leaders lead in Israel and the people volunteer, praise the Lord. When the leaders lead and the people volunteer and we get things done, praise the Lord. What was she saying? It didn't just take the leaders leading. It took the people as well to volunteer to get into the battle. Remember, this is one of the purposes that God said he left these enemies in the land for because he said, I got to teach them. I got to teach this generation how to do battle. I have to teach this generation how to war for and hold their ground on the promises that I've given them. I gave you the land, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't come without some opposition. I gave you the territory, but that doesn't mean that you're going to just stay in this territory with ease and not face people who want to move you out of that territory. So there is a lesson here for us to learn that whenever God has given you something, understand there may be some warfare surrounding maintaining what he gave you. And you have to be ready to do warfare. Yes. Are you blessed? Yes. But are you courageous to do warfare? Are you courageous to listen to God's strategy to hold on to the promises that he's given to you? Let's look at Judges 5, 6 through 8. This is in the Message Bible. It says, in the time of Shamgar, son of Anath, that's the previous judge, and in the time of Jael, public roads were abandoned, travelers went by back roads, warriors became fat and sloppy, no fight left in them. Then you, Deborah, rose up. You got up, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders who then fought at the gates and not a shield or spear to be seen among the 40 companies of Israel. So 40,000 men had gotten used to 
not fighting. Let me say that again. 40,000 men had gotten used to not fighting, which meant they got used to not defending their home, which means they got used to not defending the women and the children. When the warriors became out of shape and had no fight left in them, you can now see why God would choose this generation to raise up a woman and a mother in Israel. You can now see why JL would find courage to do what the men around her would not do, right? Because they were busy settling in with their enemies. So Deborah, a mother in Israel, prepares for battle. If you go back to Judges 4, it, it tells us who she chooses to lead. She chose new leaders who would fight. Zebulon and Naphtali. Zebulon and Naphtali. Why? Because the men of her day had chosen new gods. They had put down their shields. They had put down their spears. And they were not willing to offer protection for the nation. But the good news is, the good news is, look at Judges 5, verse 13 through 18. Then the remnant went down to greet the brave ones. The people of God joined the mighty ones. The captains from Ephraim came to the valley behind you, Benjamin, with your troops. Captains marched down from Machir, from Zebulon. High-ranking leaders came down. Issachar's princes rallied to Deborah. Issachar stood fast with Barak. So it's telling you which tribes stepped up to the plate and began to rally to Deborah, who were willing to stand with Barak. But let's keep reading. They backed him up on the field of battle. But (laughs) there's always a but in there with everybody's generation, isn't there? But in Reuben, in Reuben's tribe, in Reuben's divisions, there was much second guessing. Mm, mm, mm. Why all those campfire discussions? Diverted and distracted, Reuben's divisions couldn't make up their minds. Mm. Remember, Jacob prophesied that with Reuben's tribe, he said that I cannot trust you as the firstborn because you are unstable. And look at how that instability runs right through his generations. Now they're at a time of warfare and his tribes are still unstable. They're still unable to make up their mind. Look at this. Gilead played it safe across the Jordan. Why should I go to fight? I'm I'm cool over here. And Dan, why did he go off sailing? Dan went on vacation. (laughs) It was warfare time. It was time to stand up 
and reclaim what God had given the nation and Dan went sailing. That sounds like what's happening now with, with a lot of us. Off inner being entertained rather than dealing with the warfare that's necessary. Asher kept his distance on the seacoast, safe and secure in his harbors. But Zebulon risked his life and limb, defied death, as did Naphtali on the battle heights. Now, think about that. Reuben's tribe was unstable, second guessing and talking. Gilead plays it safe. Dan goes off to leisure during the war. Asher stays away. But the two tribes that God told Deborah to call forward, those were the ones who risked life and limb and defied death to do battle and to get the victory. The ones that God tells you to rally with will be all in. Sure, other people may show up, but they might not be all in. But trust what God tells you and who God tells you to call to the warfare. Everyone will not be all in, even though everyone was affected by this battle. Everyone's future in the nation was affected by this battle, but everybody was not all in. Now in Judges 4, when it says God routed the troops, how did God route these troops? What happened? Well, Deborah tells us in the song, look at this. Judges 5, looking at verse 20 through 23. The stars in the sky joined the fight. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent, Kashan, that's the river, swept them away. The torrent attacked them. The torrent, Kishon. Curse Maraz, says God's angel. Double curse those people because they didn't come when God needed them and didn't rally to God's side with valiant fighters. Here you see a picture of the angel of the Lord stepping in to pronounce judgment on people who didn't come to the side of God. So there was actually a natural, some natural phenomenon that occurred where nature itself mobilized to give Barak and Israel the victory. I want you to think about that. God allowed some natural phenomena to occur that clearly shook up the horses and the chariots. So maybe whether it was the earth shaking, whatever, we don't know specifically, but we do know that there was a river that swept some of those soldiers away. There was something that startled the horses and the chariots that would make Sisera jump off his horse and escape on foot. So something went down that was a natural phenomenon. But this is the part I love. Verses 24 through 30 and 31. Most blessed of all women is Jael, 
wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of homemaking women. <laughs> oh, this is getting good. Yeah. He asked for water. She brought him milk. In a handsome bowl, she offered cream. Oh, she laid it out beautifully. She grabbed a tent peg in her left hand and with her right hand, she seized a hammer. She hammered Sisera. She smashed his head. She drove a hole through his temple. He slumped at her feet. He fell. He sprawled. He slumped at her feet. He fell. Slumped, fallen, and dead. Sisera's mother waited at the window, a weary, anxious watch. What's keeping his chariot? What delays his chariot's rumble? The wisest of her ladies in waiting answers with calm, reassuring words. Don't you think they're busy plundering, dividing up the loot? A girl, maybe two girls for each man. And for Sisera, a bright silk shirt, a prize, fancy silk shirt, and a colorful scarf. Make it two scarves to grace the neck of the plunderer. Thus may all God's enemies perish while his lovers be like the unclouded sun. The land was quiet for 40 years. It was the homemaking woman. It was the woman that was at home, not abroad, that won the day. I'm going to say that again. Because I believe there are lots of women who are figuring this one out. <laughs> They're working from home. They're taking care of their kids. They're six-figure and seven-figure earning now, and they're realizing something. There is power in being in the home. She was cunning. She brought milk, not water. He asked for water. She brought milk. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, never give the enemy what he asked for. Give your enemy what's needed to neutralize them. She prepared it very nicely. The scriptures say it was a beautiful bowl. It was a handsome bowl. But she set him up. And the irony of this, pun intended, the irony of this is that Sisera, who had used iron to trample on the people for 20 years, would not see that same tool, possibly an iron hammer, would be the end of his oppressive reign. The mind that had mastered oppression over the people was crushed by the very tools that he used to oppress the people. The interesting thing here is that Sisera was a mama's boy. The song ends by telling us that Sisera, his mother, was waiting for him wondering when her son was going to come home. But if you look at her expression, it was all about taking joy and taking pleasure in what her son was doing to oppress other people. So she, oh, she was a plantation boss. Yeah. Mm. She wasn't a woman of compassion. She was a woman who benefited from the oppression of the people of Israel. 
And so there are actually three women in this story. There's Deborah, the judge, prophet and wife. There's JL, the homemaker, minding her business, but given an opportunity to deliver the final blow to oppression. And then there's the mother in the background who does not yet know that the benefits that she's been reaping from oppression all along have come to an end. Yeah, we would call her the Karen of this story. So in my closing, I want to leave you with some thoughts. This generation was unstable, but God was still able to bring forth victory. This generation was out of shape, but God still had a remnant who were ready to fight. This generation was enjoying their life and not really interested in engaging in warfare, but God had some that were willing to give their all. This generation welcomed women to go to battle because there was a gap in the readiness of men. And that didn't phase God at all. He still used who he wanted to use and let a woman deliver the final blow. And God used the women who were ready and he will do so again. So as we think about our own generation, as we think about our own uh, cultural differences that we have going on, as we think about even the, the refrain that has come through this generation of where are the men? Where are the, the good men? Where are the strong men? Where are the valiant men? There's always a remnant in every generation. Would we like there to be more? Absolutely. But don't give up. And this message also helps us to understand that even if those men don't come forward, God will give you the courage to get it done. God will give you the power to get it done. He will give you the wisdom and the strategy to get it done. And there's nothing wrong with a woman obtaining the victory. Apostle. My, <clears throat> my God, my God, where do we even start with this? God bless the woman of the Lord. God bless those who say not yet another oppression is going to be in our house, mess with our families and our children. Oh, this is a message for America. This is about time for the woman to arise like a Deborah, bring up a generation of Deborahs to work from the very top of the nation down to the housewives of the nation to bring strategic attack to these crazy sons oppressing everybody. 
and the mothers of these crazy people, sons, who are oppressed people acting like, well, where's my son at? Where's my son at? I mean, there is so much. It's just too much for me to kind of just really summarize this now. But all I can say is that there is power, power, wonder-working power in the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. We, the bride, has the power to take down the adversary. We better not ever, I never have, and I never will, underestimate the power of women. America, the nation we live in. <laughs> when we get some real good, strong Debras in leadership, we're praying for that to occur. Maybe some of these foolish actions that are going on with oppressive spirits throughout this nation will come to an end and there will be peace. So we thank God for all of you who are here and we thank God for the power of the bride, the power of woman, the spirit of woman, how they're able to be meticulous, how they're able to be the commanding of leaders, how they use just kindness and hospitality. What really enthralls me so much with this JL is her ability to keep her composure as she strategized to attack and end a reign of terror. God will sometimes put the enemy right in your grasp. grasp. And if like her, she's, when you see God put the adversary, we know the weapons of a warfare are not, uh, are not carnal, but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. We understand that. But when you look at this, the, the, the tenacity she had to entreat that adversary, to get him in a place where their guard is down, to neutralize their ability to oppress any further. That's, if you get anything out of the day, understand that. You don't have to sit there and, I mean, everything, there's a time and a place for everything, like Ecclesiastes says. But there is a time to be, keep quiet. She kept quiet. Sometimes keeping quiet, not broadcasting all the stuff, not getting all vocal and, and out of, you know, just enraged and stuff will be some of the best assets you have to take down the adversary. She executed the plan. She, <laughs> no pun intended, executed the very plan proficiently and effectively. So that's what we need to do. Have the wisdom to know how to handle the adversary when he comes in our grasp so that we can neutralize its detrimental effects upon our generation and future generations. So in that, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words of wisdom and just how effective uh, the strategies that are displayed within these chapters and verses. Oh God, we thank you, God, for the testimony of Deborah. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Barak. We thank you for the testimony of, of Jael. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for your testimony of, uh, on how you have a tendency to use the very earth that you created and all the natural effects of what you have created to help 
and eras of oppression. So we thank you, God, for the supernatural combined with the natural mm -hmm. that you give to us, the ability you give to us to be able to succeed and to conquer and subdue that which oppresses us. So, Father, those who may not know Christ, Lord, help us, help them, help everyone to confess Christ as Savior and Lord, accept him, turn from the ways of sloth and laziness of how those other soldiers were who just got comfortable intermingling with those who they're supposed to uh, to uh, to cease and to those who that who they were supposed to neutralize help us not to get it to, to to mingle with that which should be neutralized in Jesus name Lord we pray help those who take Christ in as Savior and Lord today understand the power they have as a new member of the bride of Christ Thank you, Father, for the power you've given to us. You say you've given us all power over all the power of the enemy. So we ask, Lord, that you help us and give us the wisdom to know how to execute it. Execute that power in very proficient, efficient ways that brings freedom for all. In Jesus' name we pray and give you glory and honor. Amen. Oof, back to prophet. Uh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Amen. So we want to thank you all today for your time and attention, and we pray that this word ministered to you. And uh, as Lady uh, Cassandra said, arise all Debras. And even as our nation is getting ready to add to the Supreme Court, we are praying that God would add someone who is for righteousness, true God. someone who is for truth, and someone who will uplift this country and really break free and break through some of the oppressive judgments that have sat over this country as a whole from the top down. So that's what we're praying. We're praying that a wise decision would be made that really uh, shifts the trajectory of our nation. So thank you all again. If you would like to give, the information to give is located um, at the top of this broadcast. If you're on YouTube, um, our cash app is dollar sign life nation. Until next Sunday, as the Lord wills, take care and be blessed.